You know, I, I want to say just a few words uh, regarding what Gary said. We do appreciate so much the work that uh, Seth and Vanna and others uh, do in our finance ministry, but there's someone else that we owe a debt of gratitude to, and that's Gary himself. Gary spends a lot of time in this area, and he has a passion for it, and we lean heavily on him, and so we're grateful to you too, Gary, for all that you do for us in this area. And let me also say that uh, we realize some of you may not be able to increase your gifts this year, but some of us can. And, and if we can, it, it would be wonderful if, if we did that. I was in an, an elders meeting recently where the elders said that they were going to increase their giving this year. And I tell you that not to brag in any way, but to just say uh, we would not ask you to do anything that we ourselves were unwilling to do. And uh, we're just trying to provide some leadership. So uh, if you can increase your giving in, in 2019, then God, God bless you as I know he will. As you can see, you get me today uh, because, of course, Jeff and Melinda and the Thronebearers were called away to celebrate the homegoing of their mother and grandmother. And we did not want to, uh, on short notice, ask Brad or Daniel or uh, uh, Steve or David or anyone else who could preach. We did not want to ask them to prepare something quickly and deliver it for us. So you get me. As a result. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about a memory that I have of, of many, many years ago that sort of relates to this. I was a student at Oklahoma Christian College. And I was attending the Oklahoma Christian College Bible Lectureship. And, you know, Oklahoma Christian used to have their lectureship in January. And Oklahoma usually doesn't get a whole lot of snow, but sometimes it can happen. Well, that particular year... There was a blizzard in Oklahoma City. And uh, here we are meeting on Sunday night to start the lectureship. And the uh, fellow who was supposed to give the keynote address to kick off the lectureship couldn't make it because of the weather. He, he could not make it to campus. And so uh, the, the chair of the Bible department, Raymond Kelsey, was called upon to deliver the keynote message just a few hours before the lectureship began. And I'll never forget the words that Dr. Kelsey said as he began his address. He was always known for his dry humor, but uh, even so, the audience in Hardeman had no idea what was coming. He said, I stand before you today, not because I was originally selected to give this address, and I stand before you today not because I'm the most qualified to give this address, and I stand before you today not because I've spent hours upon hours preparing this lesson. I stand before you today because a few hours ago, the president of this college said, he told me you're going to deliver this address tonight. <laughs> it, really, it really wasn't that. In, in this case, uh, no one told me to deliver this address, but I'm happy to stand in for Jeff and share with you a passage of scripture and some thoughts from it that mean a lot to me. And as I look at this uh, photograph, I, I'll have to admit to you that uh, originally I had about six slides that I hurriedly put together with text against a, a drab background uh, about the color of the sweater I'm wearing. And Becky came into my office and wanted to see the slides, and she said, those slides need some color. <laughs> so I said, 
uh, yes, dear, they're, they're going to get some color. So I went to the Internet and found some free photos to put on here. And then as I uh, looked through these slides this morning, I thought to myself, these folks are going to be distracted by these beautiful photographs. They're not going to hear a word that I say. I know I would be distracted if I were looking. I may be distracted as I look at them, even during this message. Uh, but then I'm thinking, as you see these photographs, I hope they call upon you to praise God for his power. And that not only he has power, but he has an eye for beauty. And that will be the best use of your time as you view these lovely photographs that I think are lovely and demonstrate the kind of God that we serve and that we love so much. Last fall, I began a study of the book of Ephesians, and many of you also began that study with me as I think about it, and what a rich study that has been. There are so many wonderful passages of Scripture in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And there's one passage that I've been thinking about, and I want to share some thoughts with you on this passage. And as you can see, it's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. I think it's probably a passage that most of us don't believe I'm afraid you heard me right. I think this is a scripture that most of us, including me, do not believe. And here it is from Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to... Let me start that over. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Isn't that a powerful passage? Such a powerful passage. What is this text? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. First of all, I want you to notice that it's a doxology. It's a statement of praise. The Bible is full of these statements of praise. Paul reaches the halfway point in his letter of Ephesians, and he just has this sudden outburst of praise. He can't contain himself any longer. He's got to pause in his writing and exclaim his adoration and his praise of God. Actually... He's only completing what he started in chapter 1 and verse 3. You might go there in your own Bible where Paul says at the very beginning of his letter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. And then for three chapters, he itemizes all of these wonderful blessings that we now enjoy because of what Jesus Christ did. And he brings this to a close at Ephesians chapter 3 with this statement of praise. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. This is a doxology. But I also want you to notice that it's the conclusion of the prayer that Paul utters in verses 14 through 19 in chapter 3. And when I read the prayers of Paul, I realize how feeble and weak and small and trivial my prayers are, don't you? And I think, you know, I'm usually asking for mushrooms and Paul is asking for sequoias. 
I mean, his requests are so much greater than, than what I asked God for. I want you to hear this prayer. Realizing the doxology is a conclusion to this prayer, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that. Here it comes. I pray that. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is Paul praying for there? What does, he, what does he want his readers to possess? He wants them to know the all-surpassing love of Christ, which, by the way, they cannot know, he says. It surpasses knowledge. He wants them to know the height, the breadth, the length, the depth. He wants them to have the full measure of God's fullness in them. I mean, he's asking for the moon in this prayer, isn't he? Paul, aren't you asking for too much? No, indeed, he says, because the doxology shows that he has every confidence that God can grant his prayer and that God can answer these requests. And think about this. No, he says, I haven't asked for too much because there is no desire, there is no thought. Even the desires and the thoughts of an apostle in a moment of supreme inspiration, there are no desires and no thoughts That God cannot answer because God can give more than we can ask for. More than we can even imagine. So it's as if Paul realizes he's asked for a lot, but he hasn't asked for too much. Because God is able to show his great power. I think that's such a powerful prayer and such a powerful conclusion to the prayer. Well... What would you say that this text does? What does it do? You know, every text does something. Well, first of all, it calls upon us to do exactly what Paul did in the text, and that is to fall to our knees and worship God and to praise Him. And we're going to do that. We praise you, God, for who you are, for your power, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you that we're your children And we we understand that you are all powerful and almighty and all loving and that you're present with us. And we're so grateful for who you are. And we confess our sinfulness. We worship. That's what this text calls upon us to do. But it also calls upon us to consider the importance of the church. Because in this text, Paul informs us. That God's glory is revealed in the church. Now, you might know that this is a letter in the New Testament that really emphasizes the importance of the church. All through the letter, Paul will tell us that the church is part of God's eternal plan, that the church is the body of Christ. Uh, Jesus himself is the savior of the body. And here he says the church is the place where God's glory is demonstrated. Now that must be the most startling admission of this doxology. Did you know there is not a single doxology in all of the Bible 
that explicitly mentions the church as the place where God is glorified. This is the only text. We can understand how God receives glory in Christ Jesus. Paul has just talked about three chapters worth of what Jesus has done. We can well understand how God's glory is demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And when we consider the splendors of the universe, when we look into the starry skies or examine the natural world, we certainly can see how these things cause God to receive glory and honor. But the church, the church, oftentimes a ragtag bunch of people who sin every day and who fall short of the glory of God and fall short of God's expectations in the church, God is glorified. That's what Paul is saying here. And and then in the next three chapters, he's going to explain how that God's transformative and uniting power is demonstrated in the church. And so he'll explain what he means by the church being the place where God is glorified. But that's a powerful thought. What does that do for you? What does that mean for you? That in you and in our collective body, God receives glory. Not that we are not that we receive glory and honor. No, God receives the glory because of us. That's a powerful thing. Paul tells us that. But this text also does something else. It reminds us of God's power. And that's really where I want this lesson to go. I pray that the Spirit will direct it there. This text reminds us of God's power. And don't we need to be reminded of that? God's unlimited power. Paul says, the power that God has is more than we can ask for and more than we can even think about. Think about that. You can't think about it, can you? God's power is greater than what you and I can think about. But for me, the most startling admission about God's power in this text is what? You see it, don't you? You know it. You know what I'm going to say next. The most startling admission that Paul makes is not that God's power is infinite, that it's inexhaustible, that it's unlimited, that it's incalculable, that it's immeasurable. I'm trying to do what Paul does here. He strains the language to try to explain how powerful God is. Far more abundantly than all that we can ask or imagine. What is the most impressive admission of this text? It is that God's power is at work within us. Did you hear that? Did you check that out? God's power is at work within us. This unlimited, infinite, incalculable, immeasurable power is at work within us. And that's what we don't believe. We don't believe it. I've been a Christian a long time. I've served in many churches. I've sat in many elders meetings, many staff meetings. And I'm telling you, I've not been in churches where we believe this, this passage. We don't believe it. And of course, we're here today because we're trying to, we're asking God to grow our faith so that we can believe passages like this. But we really don't believe that this kind of power is at work in us. And we repent. <laughs> We ask God to forgive us for our disbelief and we pray him to give us the grace of faith. Lord, help us to believe this truth that your power, unlimited as it is, is at work in us. Now, 
What does this passage call us to do? I want to talk on two levels here. Try not to read that second bulleted thing. Don't, that's next. I was too lazy to type out another fr- slide, uh, David, so I'm so sorry. Close your eyes to that. I want to talk on two levels. First, individuals, and then as a church. What does this passage call upon us to do as individuals? I'm going to say that it calls upon us to believe that God can change us. As individuals, God can change us. That's what this power shows. I wonder why Paul wrote this passage to begin with. That's a question I like to ask of Scripture. How about you? Paul, why did you write this? Spirit, why do you think we need to know this? And I'm wondering if some of his original readers were these people who felt like, I can't live the Christian life. I can't drop these bad habits. I can't become all that you want me to be. And Paul says, yes, you can. Of course you can. Because God's spirit is at work in you. And by the way, God's power, which is far greater than all you can ask or imagine, is at work in you. So, yes, you can put away falsehood. And speak the truth to your neighbor. Yes, you can put away anger and do not sin. Yes, you can let no evil talk come out of your mouths. But only what is useful for building others up. Yes, you can get control of your tongue. Yes, you can turn loose of all slander and malice and infighting. Yes, you can be kind to one another and forgiving of one another. Yes, You can walk in love as Christ loved us. Yes, you can be sexually pure. You don't have to be caught up in the trap of sexual immorality and pornography. Yes, you can turn away from darkness and turn to the light. Yes, you can become a thankful person. Yes, husbands, you can love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, you can respect your husbands. And yes, parents, you can bring your children up. In the discipline and nurture of the Lord. And yes, you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. And yes, you can put on the whole armor of God. And yes, you can stand against all the wiles of the devil. You can do all of this. You can do it. Because God's power is at work in you. And He's not going to let you down. His Spirit is empowering you. You can do it. You can live the Christian life. I wonder if that may be why Paul wrote that. And maybe we can use that too. If we see ourselves as individuals who are trying to live the Christian life, this passage gives us hope that we can do it with God's help, with God's power. But I want to talk finally about what this means for the church, for the church, for our collective body, for our family. What does it mean for us? I'm going to say just here that it means That we can do more than we may have thought we could do. Because God is strengthening us. And God is empowering us. We can do more. You say, well, Carrie, do you think we're doing some good? Well, yes, we're doing good things. Just as as, as our brother mentioned. What is your name? I just can't call it all to mind. Gary. Boy, I've reach that point in my life when I'm looking at someone straight in their eyes and I cannot call their name. I do that with Becky sometimes. I can't remember her name for Pete's sake. We have many good things going on. But I want you to hear this challenge. If we really believe this passage, if we really believe this passage, 
God would be able to do a whole lot more through us than we think. If we really believed it. So let's believe it. Where are the visionaries among us these days? I mean, where are the dreamers? Have they given up on us and left us for greener pastures? What they thought were greener pastures? Where are, where are the Caleb's among us? Who at 85 said, I'm going to take that mountain right over there. I'm just as strong today as I was back then. God being my helper, give me that mountain. I'm going to take that mountain. I'll take that challenge. Give me that mountain. Where are the Caleb's? Where are those who will say to us, lift up your eyes to the hills from whence our help comes. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where are those people? Those people may be you. We need you. We need you to paint a picture of what God can do through us. We need you. I'm imagining a church that is so vibrant and so strong and so active in the community making such an impact. And here again, I'm wondering if Paul wrote this passage to the churches in Asia. And by the way, he wrote them to the churches in Asia Minor, the province there. And this would have been read in their assemblies before the whole church. And so the whole church would have been challenged just as this scripture is trying to challenge us today. And I'm wondering if Paul writes this because he feels like the church feels powerless. Well, what kind of an impact can we really make in this world anyway? I mean, this world is going to hell in a handbasket and we're small in number and we don't have a lot of resources. Really, what can we do anyway? How significant can our impact be in this world? And Paul is trying to lift the self-image of these churches. He's trying to get them to understand that God has an agenda that is great and lofty and he wants them to grab a hold of it and know that they can accomplish it. They can do this. I like a passage in Acts chapter 19 where Luke tells us that Paul was in Ephesus for two years, longer than he was at any other place. And from Ephesus, all Asia heard the word of the Lord. I love that passage. All Asia heard the word of the Lord in the span of two years. Now, not Asia, the continent, Asia, the province, much of modern day Turkey today. I don't know how it would compare to Colorado or the Front Range or whatever it is. But I love this idea that the gospel radiated from that church in Ephesus all over that region. And when I think about the church of Jesus Christ today, I'm thinking about I'm dreaming about that kind of a vibrant body that reaches out into the community, that loves people, that serves people, that spreads the word of the Lord all over the region that accomplishes things by the power of God that they never thought possible. And God is upstairs applauding and supporting his people. We can do this. We can do this. You know, every time I hear those words, we can do this. I've got this. I think about that commercial. Uh, you know, you know, that insurance company commercial on television where uh, Flo gives the name your price tool to a man who thinks that because he has that tool, he can do anything now. And his wife comes to her and complains. And the scene shoots to him out there in the field. And there's a man juggling chainsaws. You know what I'm talking about? This picture that I'm talking about? He's juggling tank chainsaws. And the man walks up to him and says, here, give it to me. Give it to me. I can do this. Give it to me. He thinks he can juggle those chainsaws. Well, I think that's kind of funny myself. 
You'd probably have to see that commercial yourself, but I think, I think there's a lot of humor in that. I can do this. Give it to me. And as I think about it, that, that commercial doesn't, doesn't really illustrate very well what, what I'm trying to prove right now. <laughs> uh, because we can do this with God's help. So we'll change the story just a little bit. We'll put, we'll put God in the middle of flipping chainsaws. We walk up to God and we stand by Him and we can say, we can do this. Because God is with us and His power is what is strengthening us. What I hope this text will do for us is to convince us as individuals that we can change. But I also hope it will encourage us to enlarge our vision of what the body of Christ at large can do in the name of the Lord. We'll do it in His name. And so here are the takeaways. Number one, know that you can change and others can as well. Jesus can change people. The gospel can change people. Know that it can happen. So if you've got this bad habit that you're struggling with, if you've, if you've got some area in your life that you wish God would take greater control and he would if you would let him, Know that you can change. Find hope in this passage. But the second takeaway is let's consider what God might be able to do with us. If our faith in his power grew and grew and grew. And instead of relying on our own strength, we relied on his unlimited strength. What might happen? We would certainly be a blessing to God and everyone around us. Let's pray together and we'll close. Father, we thank you so much for your word that strengthens us and inspires us and challenges us. We thank you for your spirit that lives in us. We thank you for your power that enables us to do things we never thought we could. We admit, Father, that we need your help, your strength, your power. We need your vision. We need faith. We pray that you would provide those things that we need because more than anything, we want to be a glory to you we want people to look at us and honor you when, the, when they see the way we live, the way we love, our faith, our hope, our love. We, we want your name to be honored and glorified. And so we pray that you would give us those things that we need to make that possible. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.